kind of loud. I just don't want it to feed back. There you go. Thanks. Anyway, a little bit of story about my life. Um, about 20-some years ago, I got invited by a couple of good buddies of mine. To, uh, it's a privilege to have him and his family here, and, and it's even a bigger privilege, too, to have his grandson is going to speak this morning, James and his wife Liz McClanahan. So um, he's an associate pastor at uh, LifePoint Church in Norfolk, Nebraska, and uh, I guess I'll, at this time I'll turn it over to him, but thank you so much for being here. So. Well, good morning. Can you all hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, it's really good to be here today. A privilege to be here with you. Um, I've heard a lot about your church, and I've met Pastor Peter before, but never been here, so I'm glad to finally be here. And you know, there's something special about coming to a new church. I guess nobody knows your, you and your problems, which is one thing, but um, the, the special thing about going to a new church for the first time is you don't know anybody, but at the same time, you have the deepest connection you could have because of Jesus Christ, and um, you share in common what is most important, and that's true today for us. We've just met you, and we've just worshiped with you, but we share um, a lot in common because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and, that, and because of that, we have a real relationship to share with, with one another. Um, and I wanted to thank all of you for just letting me be here, and I hope that um, we'll have a great time together. I got a little scared when I saw the bulletin because it wasn't the same verses that Pastor Peter had shared with me. But the screen says otherwise, so I think we're good. But if this, if this is a rerun, don't leave all at the same time, okay? Um, but it is this connection that we have to each other, this gospel connection that we have to each other that we're going to talk about today. Uh, specifically, the resurrection, which you guys have, been, if you've been here at church the past couple of weeks, I'm guessing you've been talking about this. And if you come next week and the week following, you're going to talk more about this. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is a really long chapter, 58 verses all about the resurrection. And so today we're just going to study verses 12 to 19. And so we're going to read those together, talk about that together, um, and I hope that God will help us understand the resurrection a little bit more. But um, would you please bow with me in prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open your word together as a body of believers. We thank you that you have made a way for us to know you and through your word, we can understand who you are more. We, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our eyes to see wonderful things from here. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus and his death and resurrection and the joy that we have and the forgiveness and life we have. So help us to take hold of that today and to understand the hope that we have in a deeper way. And I pray that you would uh, just remove any distraction from here today and help me to say things I should and not say things I shouldn't and that we would all understand you more at the end of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, do open to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to do verses 12 to 19. I'm going to go ahead and read those aloud, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. All right, this is, this is God's word, and I think today we'll, we'll learn some, some cool things from this, okay? Um, if you were here last week, did you talk about 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through whatever, I'm guessing? Okay, well, if you remember, there's no points for remembering or reviewing well, but back at the beginning of that chapter, verses uh, 3 and 4, Paul r- reminds the church at Corinth of the basics of the gospel, the things they need to remember, okay? If you look back to verse 3 of the same chapter, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Last week and in the, in the weeks to come, you're going to be walking through this chapter. Uh, this chapter is devoted entirely to the resurrection of Jesus. And this is a topic that we talk about at Easter, of course. You know, we say he is risen and you say he is risen indeed. And everyone gets dressed up and we say Jesus is alive. And we think about it for, you know, a few days. We emphasize that. But then life kind of gets back to normal, if we're honest. And we don't often think about the resurrection. Um, But what I think that we can learn from this passage of Scripture today is that the resurrection of Jesus should affect our life much more than it does. It should be an everyday reality that we we think about it. Um, But first, I think what we need to understand is what's going on here. Why Why does this passage of Scripture kind of sound like he's ranting to them and really, really want them to understand? Um... So we're going to look at the problem that was going on in this church, okay? And then we'll talk about um, how that applies to our own life as well, okay? So first of all, the problem. If you look at verse 12 again, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There's a problem that Paul is trying to deal with, with the Corinthian church there. Um, And this is important for us to understand in order to get something out of this. Apparently, according to this verse, some people in the church and at that time had been saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. That when people die, they will not be raised again. That's just, that's it. Um, in some way, and the, and the context doesn't tell us completely what, how they were explaining this, but in some way, people were believing this and they were even verbalizing this. And that's why he's getting so bent out of shape about this because they were believing that when a person dies, they will not rise again. Um, scholars tell us that in that time period, so they call it the Greco-Roman world, long, long ago, d- during the time of Jesus and a little bit after, um, the culture at that time didn't really believe in a bodily resurrection. Uh, some people might have viewed you just viewed it as you don't even exist after you die. You just die and that's it. Like when you hit a raccoon on the road. That's it. Okay? Some people felt that way. But the most, most people did believe in some kind of immortality ongoing, but it was more like your spirit lives on forever. And in fact, at that time, the people viewed um, the body as kind of like a prison or a tomb. And so to die was to be released from this thing that was was sort of bad. Um, Some people at that time who were more educated would think you were very naive to think that actually you could be raised again from the dead. And according to verse 12, there are Christians in this church who are starting to believe this kind of thing. And so Paul is kind of sounding the alarm that this is a really big deal, that they shouldn't be doing this. And so these verses that we're reading today are written in response to this way of thinking that was really starting to be a problem in the church and could have potentially really been a problem. He wants to point out to them um, as he's writing this that this is not just a minor detail. Um, He does that in verse 13, right? He says, if there's no, no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He wants to show that this is not only ridiculous, but in doing so, he wants to show them that the very foundation of our faith is built on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And for anybody, for any of us to deny the, the physical and bodily resurrection of believers that, that was happening there, those people were actually denying that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's not a reality, then this whole thing is a joke. And Paul wanted them to understand that. By the way, this isn't the main point of this, but I think it can remind us of the fact that um, even when we read this passage, it shows that we can't just pick and choose what we think is, is good in the Bible. We can't just pick and choose and decide, oh, I think this sounds nice, or this fits with my um, culture or my way of thinking. Um, if we start chipping away at the scriptures or the gospel or any part of it, we, we're going we're gonna to run into a lot of trouble. It's not our right to decide what parts of this Bible are good and fit with everything and what parts don't. We can't pick and choose. We have to take it as God has given it to us. And Paul was saying the same thing to them. These people were trying to match their beliefs with the rest of the world or with, with those around them. And he's saying, no, this is, we have to go with what God has given us. Okay? So later on in this passage, Paul's going to explain that the, the importance of our physical resurrection, and in, in, in later sermons you're going to hear more about that, he's going to explain the certainty of that and, and what that will look like for us as believers. Um, I'm guessing that when you get to verses 20 and beyond, you're going to study that a lot more. But here in these verses today, Paul is pointing out that the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of Jesus are linked together. We can say they're, um, they're so intertwined that if one is not true, then the other is not true. And so that's why he, does, that's why he talks like this in this passage. Um, I wanna look, look back quickly. I want to I kind of summarize this one more time. Okay? He says, it is ridiculous that we would think there's no resurrection of the dead. Because if there's no resurrection, then there's no Jesus resurrection. And then it's like a, a bunch of dominoes that just begin to fall, right? And, he, he, and, he, and so we, we can see that. He says in verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Basically, the gospel is kind of a joke if Jesus is not alive. In verse 15, look what he says. We are liars to preach the gospel. Verse 17, our faith is in vain. Verse 17 also, we're dead in our sins. We're lost forever. Um, in... in a, Verse 18, he says, the brothers and sisters that we've lost, they're lost forever. We're never going to see them again. And to sum it all up, in 19, he says, if this really isn't true, then we are really mo the most pathetic people on the planet. Okay? So today, I want to I turn this kind of on its head, because I doubt, if you're here this morning, on a beautiful day, if you came in here and sat down, I doubt that any of you is really struggling with whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. So I'm not going to try to prove that to you because I believe that most of us probably do believe that and understand that to be true. But you can kind of look at this passage from another angle and, and realize, okay, because Jesus is alive, what do these verses tell us about that? What does that mean for us that, um, that Jesus is alive and how does that affect my life today? So rather than look at what it, what it would be true if Christ were not resurrected, we're going to look at it from the angle of what is true because he's alive? And very often we can forget these kind of things. I, was a, I felt like I was a Christian for a long time before I really understood why it's important that Jesus is alive. And I, maybe, maybe some of you are that way too. You believe it's true, but what does that have to do with my life right now? Um, I, wanna, I want us to see from this passage that this, the resurrection is much more than just an Easter message. It's much more than just a thing we tack on. It is the foundation of everything that we believe. 
And I think that these verses, verses 12 to 19, show us that it's at the heart of the gospel message. Okay? So what, what we're going to look at is a few things, just three different things that are true about us because Jesus is alive. I don't know if you are the note-taking type of people, and I apologize. I didn't put anything on the, on the screen, but I will give you a few nuggets of things to take away if you do want to write stuff down. Um, first of all, we see at the beginning in verses 14 and 15, uh, because Jesus Christ has been raised, we are a truth-filled people. We are a truth-filled people because Jesus Christ has been raised. And that's the, that's the first big idea that we can see in verses 14 and 15. And quite simply, what that means is the gospel is true because Jesus is alive. As you probably know, it's the, the Bible teaches that God created us to live in fellowship with him, and that fellowship was broken in the garden by Adam and Eve and their sin, and that created an uncrossable barrier between God and mankind. And God, in his love for us, as we learned in John 3.16, he sent his son to die for us. Um, to, and he, he sent him to be the, the propitiation for our sins, to, to satisfy the wrath that was brought about because of sin. Um, but, but the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is a big part of that story because it proves that this was enough of a sacrifice, that it worked. The good, the good news is, is that Jesus came back to life and it showed, hey, that was a sacrifice enough. And this was a, this was a core belief of even the earliest Christians. So um, in our church, we've been learning, we've been studying the book of Acts this year. And, you know, Acts comes right after Jesus goes up to heaven at the first, first chapter of Acts, and then the, the early church begins. And I've read this book before and everything, but one thing that really struck me as we studied the book of Acts is something I want to show you today because it's connected here. The earliest Christians were also very jazzed up about the resurrection and the importance of it. And one of the things that the apostles continued to emphasize as they preached the gospel, as they preached that Jesus was the Messiah, as they preached that, hey, he has come, he died, he rose again, they, they made sure and preached the resurrection. Um, if you have Bibles, I'm going to ask you to flip a few different places today, and I hope that'll be okay. It'll keep you awake, one of the, if nothing else. But look over at Acts 2. Um, I'm going to read a few verses here, because... In Acts 2, Peter is talking to people in the temple. These are people who know about God. They knew about the Old Testament law. And one thing he emphasizes to them as he's trying to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ is the resurrection. So look at verse uh, 23. So Acts 2, 23, if we could start there. Peter says to them, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay, he's telling them that their, their plot to kill Jesus was part of God's plan. But notice what he says next and how he emphasizes the resurrection. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And now we're going to keep reading because he talks about, he, he quotes the Old Testament and he talks about the resurrection again. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 28, you have made, me, made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he goes on to say this to the, to the people. 
Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to his, this day. So this, is not, this isn't about David, this is about somebody else. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about what? The resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now the passage that Peter quoted there is from Psalm 16, written super long time before Jesus died and was resurrected. But it's a prophecy about Jesus. And Peter was reminding the people then, in that very early church time, that this had been predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. And so when we stand on this side of the resurrection today, we see its importance. And we, we recognize that the resurrection validates all of Scripture. If Jesus was not alive, then all of the stuff about him in here that was saying he was coming would be a joke. It would all be false. But when he came back to life, it shows, wow, this, this Bible is true. All that prophecy was true, and what God said about himself was true. Jesus himself in John 11, you don't have to turn there, but you probably know the verse. John 11, 25, um, it says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. How could he ever say that if he's not going to rise from the dead later on? And so the resurrection proved who Jesus was and who, God, who, he, who he had said he was before that. Um, so we are a, we are a truth filled people because of the re, because of the resurrection and God has done that through through raising his his son up and the and that means when we speak the truths of Scripture uh, we are truth filled people we know and understand that this is true we can understand this we can uh, believe this we can trust in this and the resurrection of Jesus validates what he said about himself and what we say about him now which is why in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying if Jesus wasn't alive, we would be liars. We would be misrepresenting God. But because he's alive, we're not. We're telling the truth about God. We're representing him well. So that's the first big, big foundational thing that is true because of Jesus' resurrection, that we are full of truth. We have the truth of the gospel because Jesus has risen from the dead. Look, at, look back now at 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 17, tells us another thing about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus has been raised, we are also a forgiven people. All right? Because verse 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But if we look at it from the angle that he is raised, then we recognize our faith is not worthless. Our faith is not futile. Futile, futile, whatever you say, um, the meaning of that word is, is literally useless, okay? And I was trying to think about how can we understand this word? How can we make sure we, we uh, picture that in our mind? What would our faith be if Jesus wasn't alive? Well, imagine, imagine you're taking the drive, okay? A, a day like today or yesterday when the sky is blue and there's clouds and it's just a nice, beautiful summer day. Today, imagine you're taking a Sunday drive today and you go out in the country on these little tiny roads where there's nobody around and you're just enjoying yourself and suddenly... You have a flat tire. Well, big deal. Everybody's got a spare. So you get, in the, you get in the spare tire compartment and make sure you do have a spare, by the way. Um, but, but imagine you open up the compartment and there's the tire there, but it's flat as a pancake. It has a big old tear in it. If you're going to change, if you're going to go to the trouble of changing the tire, putting the spare on, that tire is going to be useless to you. You will get nowhere. You will not be able to drive on it. And that's the, that's the picture of the word useless. Our faith would be absolutely 
useless, futile, if Jesus were not alive. And so for Jesus not to be alive would mean that we are not forgiven. We are still in our sins. But the fact that he is alive means that we, we have something, something there. Our faith would be useless if he were not alive. Our sin would be pressing down on us and, and causing us to perish if Jesus hadn't been raised. Um, Romans 4.25 is a really helpful verse for this. For a long time, I didn't understand how the resurrection of Jesus had to do with our forgiveness and all that. But if you don't mind, Romans is right before 1 Corinthians. Um, go there to chapter 4. Um, this passage in Romans 4 is talking about the faith of Abraham and how uh, he, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And we're told here that that same faith will be counted to right, as righteousness for us too. Not stuff that we do, but by trusting and believing in Jesus. And verse 24 says this in Romans 4. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. There's the resurrection again, right? And it says this about Jesus, verse 25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see that there? Delivered up, killed for our trespasses, for our sins. That means he was killed for our sins, but then it says he was raised for our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous. If you think about a judge in a, in a courtroom saying guilty or not guilty, um, when, when Jesus was resurrected, that was the, the declaration of our, of our righteousness. When, Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he proved that the sacrifice was good. It was good enough. It was sufficient. And when he rose from the dead, that brought about a declaration of righteousness for you and for me, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And so, practically speaking, the fact that Jesus is alive should bring us great comfort as believers because it, it shows that, hey, that, that sacrifice that was paid for my sin... That's enough. And that's why God was able to raise him from the dead. His resurrection is proof that it worked, that we have forgiveness. And because we are alive, we are justified. We are declared righteous before God. Romans 8, 34 says this about, about the resurrection. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's Romans 8, 34. Um, if, maybe, maybe you don't feel like a forgiven person sometimes. Maybe you feel like you're still in your sins just because of the guilt that you might bear for sin. Maybe you can't wrap your head around why this all makes such a difference. But I think a verse like that, which also talks about the resurrection, can comfort us. If, if you're a believer in Christ, you are, it says, being interceded for by the risen Christ. He's praying for you because he's alive today. And that's a wonderful, hopeful thing that shows us once again that we are forgiven and we are given, given this new life in Jesus Christ. And so the, the resurrection, um, one of the ways that we can reflect on it is the truth that it brings us. One of the ways we can reflect on it is this forgiveness that we have because God raised Jesus from the dead. And as verse 17 tells us, um, if it weren't true, we would still be in those sins. But because it is true, we are not in those sins anymore. And that's a reality that you can, you can comfort yourself with. When you think about the fact that Jesus is alive, that's proof that God forgave you. And it's proof that you don't need to bear those kind of sins anymore. You don't need to, 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 to put, place that on yourself if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We often talk about resurrection hope from 
many passages of scripture which connect the hope of, of glory with the resurrection. First Peter talks about how we have a, a blessed hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you look at these verses in 1 Corinthians, and we think about them from the, that other angle like I mentioned, um, verses 18 and 19 also show the third thing I want to share today. Because Jesus is raised, because Christ has been raised, we are a hopeful people. So look at verse 18 and 19. This is, this is like the, the other perspective, remember? The, the part, it wouldn't be, if Jesus wasn't alive, this is what it would be. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Okay, so remember that angle from which this is written. If Jesus wasn't alive, then all the brothers and sisters in Christ that have died, well, that's it. That's the end. There's no hope. In fact, you have no hope of anything, it would say. You're living a pitiful life, a pitiable life, a pathetic life, okay? But when we can look at this as, as believers who know that the resurrection is true, we can look at these same two verses, and we can get a lot of hope from that if we see it from the, the correct perspective. Um, these two verses say a lot to us in, in light of the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have eternal hope, hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope not only for our own futures, but also for the futures of and the, and the destiny of those brothers and sisters who have died before us. Um, the, the people in, in the early church were similar to us. They get a lot of things wrong, and then they need, need God to correct them through his word. Um, there was another church in, in the early times when Paul was writing to the churches, um, you might have read the book of First and First and Second Thessalonians, and these guys also got their wires kind of crossed about the resurrection. Um, some people thought, "Oh, when you get saved and you just um, you get it's, it's the resurrection already happened. You're you're this is it. We are resurrected because we're saved." But Paul wrote to them and, and once again helped them to see, "No, there is a future, actual, physical, bodily resurrection to look forward to." Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul wrote to them about this. Um, and you can just listen here. I'll just read these verses briefly. But this is another way that Paul wanted to correct them and another way that we can help ourselves see this resurrection hope is real. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, Paul said to that church, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, the, for people to believe that their brothers and sisters who had died before them were gone forever was completely wrong because he wanted to say, hey, no, we know that Jesus is going to bring those people back to life. There's a real hopelessness for people who die without Christ, right? And that's a, that's a motivator for us to share the gospel. We can think about this person is lost, my neighbor, my friend, my sibling, my parent, whoever. And when we think about their eternity, it, it drives us to want to share the gospel with them. We want, we want them to have what we have, right? So that's one, one um, benefit of looking at, at, at the eternity this way. Um, but here, the, the flip side of that is to also comfort ourselves when people do die who know the Lord. Um, this past week, actually, my neighbor's mother passed away. And she was a very strong believer in Jesus, and we went to her funeral on Thursday, and it was, 
I've never been at a funeral where the, the hope of the resurrection was just interwoven through the whole thing. There was a very clear message of hope for her, even though she had died at a young age from a disease, and, and it was much too soon in everybody's opinion. But there was hope there in the midst of that grief because she knew the Lord. It would have been such a different kind of funeral service, and maybe I'm sure you've been to one before, where there is no hope of eternity there. And Paul wants to remind the people in this verse, he wants to remind, God wants to remind us as we read this passage today, that there is real hope for us when we lose, love, when we lose loved ones. Um, if, if, we, if we lose a parent or a sibling or a child who, who is a believer in Jesus, we, we have hope of seeing them again one day. Their actual selves, not just a floating essence of who they are like these people might have thought, but their actual physical bodies will be re, remade and resurrected one day in a glorified way. And there's great hope in that. The hope the resurrection gives us is for today and for eternity. Paul is very clear in, the, in these verses that the hope we have is not just for today and for this life only. Because if it were, then we would be the most pathetic people out there, right? If we just have hope for today, we're just going to hang out here and, and have church and be nice to each other, and then we die and nothing else happens, that is the most pitiable existence. But, but like I said at the beginning today, I don't, I don't think very many of you walked in here thinking, I don't know, maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Most of you probably came in here and you would, if I asked you point blank, you'd probably say, yeah, he did. Um, but I hope that this passage can help us to, to see why that actually matters for us. It matters for today. It matters for tomorrow. It matters for our future. And um, we have to ask ourselves a question today that we ask ourselves most of the time when we read the scriptures. And it's just a two-word question. So what? Not in like a selfish, like, do I need to know this kind of way, like when you're studying something you don't want to learn in like geometry or something. Um, I struggled with that as a kid. But, it, but in, a, in, a, in, a, in a desire to learn, we can ask this question, so what? What does that mean for me? What is it, how does that affect me? When I go out of here, how will that change me today? How will I live differently because Jesus is alive? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Now, we could go all over the place, and, and if you want to talk this week amongst yourselves or at home with your family about that, there's a lot of stuff to discuss. But I think this, this chapter actually gives us a very good starting place. I'm going to um, steal a little thunder from Pastor Peter because I'm guessing he's preaching the rest of this chapter. Uh, and the very last verse of this chapter is verse 58. Um, and this verse always encouraged me many times throughout my life um, as I was growing as a younger Christian. But it wasn't until much later in life that I realized where it came from, where this verse is found in the scripture. And if you think, if we read this verse and then you think about the fact that it's written in the chapter all about the resurrection, I think it kind of helps to put things together. And like I said, I'm kind of stealing because he's going to talk about this later, but I won't be here, all right? Um, so look, at, look with me at verse 58. This is a good one. This is probably in a Hobby Lobby somewhere on a, on a plaque. Uh, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that's a pretty cool verse. Like I said, regardless of the context, if you just pluck that one out, it's the kind that goes on a, on a mug because it's so, wow, that's a good verse. That's going to remind me of something. I'm going to put that on a card on my desk or my dashboard and just remind myself of that. And we should. We should. 
But when we understand where this verse comes from, I think it kind of helps to tie everything together. Because we have this hope of Jesus is re- that Jesus is alive, that drives us to do something. It drives us to an action. It drives us to live differently. Because we live, what this verse is saying is because Jesus is alive, the work we do for him here and now is meaningful. It's worthwhile. That verse, the very last word of the chapter, in vain, you see that there? That's the same exact word that you saw in verse 14 and I think 17, which said if, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then our faith is in vain. It's useless. Remember the tire? Okay. That same word is here at the end of the chapter saying, hey, your labor is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is alive. The risen Christ gives us hope and confidence and meaning to what we do here and now. No matter who you are, no matter what you do every day, there is hope and meaning and purpose to our life because Jesus is alive. Um, I, I listened to a message about the resurrection a while back, and it, there was an illustration in it that really stuck out to me, so I'm going to share it here. Um, there's a pastor who passed away this, this year named Tim Keller, and he wrote a lot about the resurrection. Um, and he, he said, you know, when you know, regarding the resurrection, he said, you know, when, when you know the outcome of something, you're going you're gonna to operate a little bit differently, right? If you're watching a rerun of a game that you already know the score of, you're not quite so nervous. You, you know what's going to happen, right? You know who wins. And so when you know the outcome of something, you also operate a little bit differently, and he had this illustration that really kind of stuck with me, okay? So imagine there's these two people, and they're doing the same job. Um, it's crummy job, bad conditions, it's hot, sweaty, long hours. The same exact job, two people. And the one guy is promised, hey, if you work for me one year, you're going to get $15,000. Okay, that's kind of a lot for, not very much for one year. That's a lot of, a lot of work. And the other guy has said, hey, he, the boss tells him, if you work for me for a whole year, oh, you get $15 million, okay? Now, we can, we can easily realize that these two people are going to approach their jobs very differently, right? And you, when you know there's something great coming, you're going to act a little differently. You're going to work a little harder. You're going to be, um, you have a reward that's promised to you, and it's going to change your motivation. Well, as believers, we have that kind of reward waiting for us. We have this resurrection hope, this meaning, this purpose, and so our, our difficulty in life, the job that you don't want to go to tomorrow, or the relationship that's hurting, or the struggle you have inside of you, or all the, all the list of ailments in the, in the bulletin that we prayed for, all of that stuff, we see that through the lens of, wow, Jesus is alive, and I have hope. And that, cha- that really changes how we endure things, Right? It changes, if we're really honest, it should change the way we approach life, the things we care about, um, and, and when we recognize that there is something amazing coming and something that is guaranteed for us. The last thing I want to say about hope is we often use it in a way that's not really the same kind of definition of the Bible, right? Not that that's bad, but we say hope in terms of I kind of wish for something. But hope in the Bible is very different than that. It is confidence in something that's going to happen but hasn't yet taken place. And so the resurrection hope that we have isn't like a, a wish, like I hope I get a raise or I hope I don't hit a deer on the way home, that kind of stuff. It's a real hope because there's a confidence that we have and that comes from the fact that God already raised his son who he gave for us from the dead. And so we can have confidence in that. 
And that fact means that, like I said, our, our Bible is true. The gospel is true. We are forgiven people. We have freedom from our sins. And we have a bright, bright, bright future because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we encounter your word, often it's something that we have read before or it is a, a truth that we hear all the time, we sing about, or we, we celebrate at different times of the year especially. But Lord, as we look at the resurrection, I pray that you would make this something that is um, just newly fresh for everyone, that it would be something that they understand in a new way, that they would understand it in a, in a deeper way. Lord, that the way that you have um, saved us through your son's death and resurrection affects the way that we live right now, even today. And I pray that that would be true for us, that you would impress these things upon our hearts. And even as we go from here or do a different things during the week, would you bring this passage of scripture to mind again? Would your, would your spirit continue to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight? And so we pray this. I pray your blessing on this, this church and these believers here. Encourage them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. We will close this morning with There is a Redeemer. If you want to stand with me as we sing.